This was my first week on the job, my first youth group at a new church. I was sitting in a small group uh, full of seventh grade boys. And we're wrestling, getting crazy like we used to, but I had that one kid that would not stop. And at one point, he was on my back upside down with his legs wrapped around my neck. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this small group. So finally, I whip him around and I have him in a gentle headlock. And I'm talking with the group and finally he starts to settle down. Next thing you know, he is passed out. He went limp on the ground and I freaked out and realized I just accidentally choked out a kid on my first week on the job. That was the scariest moment of ministry ever in my life. Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Corona, and we're joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Man, it feels like we just started this season, and now we're already wrapping up. It's like it's it's gone too soon. It's like the last day of church camp, uh, you know. So sad. <laughs> if you just go back and listen to last week's episode, it always it's kind of bittersweet. It's like I'm ready to be done, but I can't wait for the next one. How about you? And if you didn't listen to last week, you do need to go back and listen to the end. I know a lot of you, like when I get into the spiel about <laughs> rate us, review us, subscribe, all those things, you kind of just turn it off. But uh, you missed something if you turned the show off there last week. Uh, like, so go back and listen to that we're like uh pixar the mcu with our end credits now i think that's what it is right i never know what you're gonna do at the end i don't know either honestly i don't know what i'm gonna do most times so that's fine that's why i'm glad there's grace in more lives right oh tying it in all right here we go so on the show we talk a lot about the pendulum swinging one way or the other you know with purity culture it's either avoiding sex altogether or saying everything is okay because jesus loves you Or with social justice, it's totally about personal responsibility, or it's a complete systematic thing. So it's the pendulum swinging one way or the other uh, with, quote unquote, good Christian behavior. It's avoiding everything to keep yourself holy, or it's consuming whatever you want because it doesn't really matter and grace covers everything. At the end of the day, all of this comes down to the same thing on both ends of that pendulum. That's what we wanted to talk about today as we close season four out. And that's on one side of this pendulum is behavior modification. If we look at, think a certain way, then we'll be good and Jesus will love us. And that's what we're supposed to do. On the other side, it's just abundant grace. It doesn't matter what we do before or what we ever do because Jesus loves us and his grace covers everything. Eric, I know you didn't grow up in church as much as I did. But as you were growing up, what side of this pendulum were you on more often than the others? Well, yeah, my very first experience in church was uh, when I was in fourth grade and my grandma was staying with us for a month because my parents, uh, like super weird conversation, but my parents um, were out of the country adopting my sister. And so like my grandma stayed with me for a month. The very first time I ever stepped foot in church, she was Catholic. And so we walked into a Catholic mass on a Sunday and it was like definitely rules. And I mean, think about, think about all of the stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight things that they do in the, uh, in the Catholic church. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, all the stuff that it's been you're so touching. Long since on, I've heard that phrase. Uh, right. Like that's, that's the thing. And it was like, and this was a pretty contemporary Catholic uh, church anyway for the time. But, you know, there were so many things going on. So it was very behavior modification. And I just remember like my earliest experience with, with religion was from my grandma who I love my grandma, but she did have this very much of a old school mentality, not only from her generation and how she was brought up, but also from that Catholic upbringing, um, rules, regulations, Catholic all guilt. These, yeah, Catholic guilt. And that's kind of the type of parenting style that she had. Um, and then my, my parents, my mom grew up Lutheran, my dad grew up Catholic. And so they both came from a more traditional background where religion and the dogma and the practices around it. My dad went to Catholic school from basically from the cradle all the way through college. And so, you know, uniforms and all that. So I, uh, whether I want to acknowledge it as much as like, you know, someone in, in an evangelical setting, a conservative evangelical setting, I was definitely brought up more in the behavior modification way of religion. And God was like Santa Claus waiting to put you on the naughty or the nice <laughs> list. And if you didn't, you know, do it right, you weren't going to get presents in heaven when you died, you know, like very, very much around how you acted was how God felt about you. Growing up, that's similar to me. And I was so entrenched in that behavior modification idea that I didn't even realize it wasn't normal. Right. I thought that's just the way it was to be a Christian. So a week or two into my student ministry internship, I heard a couple of kids drop some four letter words. And so behavior modification, Jonathan, I'm like, I went to the guy I was interning under. I was like, should I say something to them or do you want to? And what he told me kind of blew my mind because he said that he basically said, don't worry about it. These kids are new. I'm not that concerned about it. I don't want to give them the wrong impression and make them think that behavior modification is all that we're about. And I acted like I knew what he meant, but I had never heard the phrase behavior modification at that point. So I actually went home and Googled behavior modification that day. <laughs> and that's kind of what blew my mind of like this whole thing of what we do, especially in the conservative church, is so much behavior modification. But now that I've been in the church for, at this point, 12 years, I think it is, uh -huh. in terms of church leadership or ministry leadership, I've seen so many other churches, and for our show, we'll focus on youth group, but it's churches in general, yeah. who swung that pendulum all the way back to the other side. They paid yeah. no attention to behavior. And as long as kids are showing up, they didn't care how the kids acted because they were hearing the gospel and the grace of Jesus was big enough to cover them and all those things. So it was about getting a big crowd so that we could tell them about Jesus, but we didn't give a crap what they did after that. Yeah. It was kind of like a, uh, get them here and leave the rest up to God mentality type of thing. You know, that, yes. that sort of thing. And I think a lot of that, um, if I were to think through when I was leading in student ministry and youth group, I think that's where I would see traditionally, cause like, I don't know if this ever happened to you in, in the, the, um, churches that you led, but, um, uh, there was always like, it was cyclical where at some point, some church in the community would go, we need to unify other churches. And so we need to have, you know, let's have youth pastors from all these different churches meet together once a month to talk about ministry. I don't know if that ever came up for you, but it was like, that would last for like three months and then it would die. And then somebody else would get a new job as a youth minister. And they would think, yo, we need to do this. And we'd get together. And I always noticed that uh, the, you know, there was, when you got together, all these different youth pastors and stuff like that, you saw that come out where there was 
differences of opinions on how you did ministry. And that's what really created some of the tension and created some of this like disunity in the church and youth group, because some youth groups were all about, we just want to get them here. And other youth groups were all about, we want to make sure that they're acting right and that they, you know, we have a code of conduct and we have all these other sorts of things. And really, like, if I were to boil that down, too, for a lot of people, that's where the tension came between youth groups and Young Life, because Young Life was like, great, I don't care. I don't care if they're lighting up right outside the door before they come in. We just want them in here, and we're going to tell them about Jesus. We're going to talk about grace, but we're not going to talk at all about how they live their life. At least that was the perception. That's the the perception of Young Life. One of my really good friends became a Young Life area director after being a student pastor, and he's probably listening to the show I mentioned before. And it's been a paradigm shift for him to move into a Young Life model from a youth group model, from a fairly conservative church that he was at before. And there have been times where he's like, man, it's great. These kids are dropping four-letter words. They're they're doing this. They're doing that. But they're hearing about Jesus. Right. And that's what he cares about. And I, and I know knowing him, he's all about discipleship, but he's also about evangelism. So he loves the idea of getting these kids in who probably aren't Christians, right? But they're willing to hear the gospel. And so that's why it's attention because both of these things are actually needed. Right. Exactly. And I, and I think that there's, there is that tension there because you get people or you get churches that are developing full-scale ministry models based on one or the other. You know, we uh, when I was a part of the kind of seeker-friendly, multi-site, mega-church, evangelical church, they, you know, we would have other churches, and I would talk to other church pastors, they'd go, yeah, yeah, your, your type of church is the type that brings them in, and we're our type of church is the one that they end up going to to get their, you know, discipline and actually get close to Jesus. The church I was on staff at, we were we were the church that people went to when they wanted a deeper relationship with Jesus. Right. Yeah. A lot of times they would go to another church in town and be introduced to the gospel for the first time. But then as they were discipled a little bit and grew in their spiritual maturity, they would come to us because they wanted to take the next step in their walk with Jesus. And what I found too in that, and this is where this conversation comes in between grace and behavior modification. And Tell me if you think it's if it's different. But for me, there was a lot of times that those types of people, uh, as much as they had good intent behind them, there was almost a feeling like grace wasn't good enough. Like grace wasn't enough and I need more. And so anytime that there's there's that going on, it's like that it puts up alarm bells for me. And I'm sure, you know, once one of these clips gets out on TikTok, we're getting a bunch of hate from the fundamentalists. So buckle up, people. It's gonna get worse from here. But like, (laughs) I would argue that maybe you don't understand grace enough in the first place because there's always this sense for, yeah, yeah, grace is good. I mean, I understand, but, and then we want to move on. And it's like, are you going to start singing your graces enough? uh, Yeah, I should. I should. I mean, like, I just, we'll make this a musical episode. We'll just go through there. No, but that's where it is. It's like, we sing all these songs about good grace and grace is enough and amazing grace. And we sing these words, and yet there's this inkling, this urge from a lot of people, especially if you're in the more conservative side, that grace isn't actually enough. And I think that's one of the areas where this pendulum swings back and forth, because we go to the spot where we go, grace isn't enough. And then something really bad in your life happens, and you go, holy crap, I need grace. And so you swing all the way back. And then it's like, oh, I'm good now. And then you go, well, wait a minute. 
I need to get in a quote unquote deeper relationship or I need to be a better Christian. So grace is enough. And it's like going back and forth, back and forth. And I remember last thing I'll say on this, that I know we got to move on, but I, I remember uh, a talk from Matt Chandler, which, you know, whatever you want to believe about him now, but Matt Chandler had this great line where he talked, he said, my job, I think as a pastor is to try and uh, catch you on the maybe three weeks out of the year when the pendulum gets right in the middle between grace and, uh, you know, and works or grace and whatever you want to call it. And he's like, because we want to swing so far to the right on something. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not over there. And we want to swing so far to the other side. No, 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 no. And he says, my job is like to find that moment right in the middle that maybe happens three to four weeks out of the year. And that sticks with me a lot because in my faith, I think that's the same thing too, where I go, I just need more grace, more grace, more grace, you know, grace, 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 grace. And then I go, oh shoot, I screwed up and I need to do this, this, and this, and this. In reality, it's a dangerous pendulum that's swinging back and forth um, that causes a lot of bad things, first of all, in church and how many of us of a certain age that this podcast is directed for and how we view our faith now. Yep. And as you can tell, I'm going to do some little housekeeping here. There are positives and negatives to each of these approaches. So if you're new with us, I know that this being the last episode of the season, a lot of times between now of us releasing this and when the next season comes out, a lot of you are going to listen to this and it's the first episode you've ever heard. So one of the things we do with this show is we're not just tearing stuff down to tear it down. We always want to follow the same framework each week where we look at the negatives of a topic we're talking about, which we're about to get into. And then we look at the good intentions behind those so that we can find the good because most of these things have some good intention, even if that wasn't the the main focus. And then finally, we close out each show talking about where we go from here so we can lead our kids better, whether it's our kids that are our own biological children or adopted children, that, that, the kids that call us mom and dad, or it's students that we might be leading in youth group because our generation is now the ones who are volunteering in student ministry. So Eric, as we talk about what was bad about these ends of this pendulum? Let's start with what was bad about the emphasis on behavior modification. Yeah. Uh, so as we talk about these things, I think you have to think through this too, is like, what is your natural inkling? Because I feel like there's there's a natural preference one way or the other, regardless of religion. Because that's where I would say like, if I was brought up in the church outside of religion, my home and my natural feeling is towards behavior modification. Like I naturally am that type. Like think about a parent. I'm naturally the uh, follow the rules. I'm naturally parent. the other way. Yeah, right. So there's other people that are like naturally, you know, what do we call them? Like free range parents. I don't want to, you know, that's a probably a, a nasty term for it, but it's like you've got the anal retentive parents so and the free range parents. You know what I mean? But that's that's where it is. So like if you even take God out of this and religion out of this, I think that we are, naturally inclined one way or the other. So I think what I talk about for me naturally being the behavior modification guy is first of all, it, it doesn't, it's not compatible on its own with, with Christianity because you completely lose the important part of grace and about it being, you know, anything that's Jesus plus is now not, it, that's, and that's not, that's not the gospel. And so the whole aspect of grace is what comes down to what Jesus did for us. But as far as as far as why it's bad practically is 
then you become, this is where you think about the Christians being judgmental. This is where the uh, gossip comes in. This is where all of this stuff like uh, praying. Hey, it's as not gossip, way. Eric. It's praying for them. I was just going to say that, doing. right? It's where your prayer requests become gossip. I remember I, I went to a, uh, a United Methodist church that had prayers of the congregation as part of its worship session where, <laughs> where the pastor would literally say, now we're going to have prayers of the congregation. Stand up if you have a prayer. And people would literally stand up and they would just be putting other people's business on blast in the middle of the church service. And it's like, oh, hey, uh, I have a prayer, prayers for Jonathan. And then all of a sudden, the next thing out of their mouth was like, Jonathan is this awful person that's doing awful things. And I just pray that, you know, God touches his heart and starts to change his ways. And you're like, oh my gosh. And so that's what happens is there's there's this inherent uh, bias towards uh, judgmentalism, towards gossip, towards all these things. And we end up losing this idea that Jesus's grace covers all things. It's like, well, but not, not this or not that. It's like, no, it's everything. And it causes you to live a religious dogmatic life full of pressure. So on that note as well, it also, it teaches us to be judgmental, but it also teaches us to be hypocritical. Yes. Because we justify our sins while judging others for doing different, who are sinning differently than us. And I'll use my parents as an example. My parents, I mean, obviously behavior modification church growing up, that's yep. kind of how act, look, act, say, do the right things. I've told before that I wasn't allowed to listen to Metallica, but coming home from a church conference, we had a Metallica CD in the, in the church van that I was able to listen to my Walkman. But my parents wouldn't let us do all these things, yet they smoked at least a pack of cigarettes each day. Right. Their thing wasn't a sin because it's what they did. And so they justified it and they had their reasons why it was okay and blah, blah, blah. But other people who did those different sins, that was wrong. Yep. And so when you're focused so much on behavior, you're justifying the things you do while judging the things other people do. Exactly. And I, I think that brings up for me is this idea of like this sin hierarchy, like at least I'm not like that, or this sin is better than that. It just brings to mind like Luke 18, the Pharisee is a Pharisee and tax collector, right? Pharisees praying. And it's like, thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector. You know, I'm not like a tax collector, right? And so it's like, thank you that my sins are better than the sins of others. You know, and so we get into this thing when we're naturally a behavior modification person that you start to justify your own sins or you start to rank them that it's like, uh, I may do this, but at least I don't do that. And going back to an episode that we had, I don't even know when it was, but you know, where it's like, we have these hierarchies of the signature sins that your church wanted to talk about. And so, you know, and I've told you this before, it's like the churches that I've, I've worked for before. It was like, one was very much on. Uh, male-female relationships and interactions. And like, you, if you are even in a room, a lo- if you go into an elevator with another <laughs> woman and you are in there for 30 seconds, God is going to smite you when you walk out. Bing, boom, you're going to die. And then like the other church is like, yeah, not a big deal. But if you even say the world, the word rhymes with schmalcohol, then God is going to smite you, you sit, dead. If you sit in a restaurant that sells alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Like sitting. it was like, if you have a picture and you are Welcome with other Liberty. people that have alcoholic beverages in their hands, you're going to die. You know? And so we start to like, think about which sins are worse. Or if you, 
All right, this might need to be edited. If you post anything on social media that has any progressive or democratic leaning, you're going to hell. You know what I mean? It's like any number of those things. Your sin, your sin is worse. Meanwhile, have you been like, reading my TikTok comments this week? <laughs> uh, no kidding. At one of the churches that I've worked for, um, one of the one. So when we were getting ready to hire somebody, uh, I sat there and there was a member of the executive team that said, well, I don't know. She posts a lot about Black Lives Matter on her uh, on her social media. Or I don't know. She posts a lot of bathing suit pictures on her social media. I don't know that we can hire her. And there we would have other times where the behavior modification was, we would have somebody that would say, hey, your wife, this was, this was a true story to one of our people on staff. Your wife posted a photo of herself in a bathing suit. I don't think that's an appropriate representation of someone who works for this church. Wait, what? Wait. You care so much about our behavior that you are policing the Instagram of a staff member's spouse, and you have enough gall to talk to that staff member and tell them to have their spouse take it down. What? Like that, that, that's it for me. That'll show you of what that's a behavior modification church. And you have lost the, you know, you, you have lost the grace aspect of your religion. So speaking of grace and to keep this from being another purity culture episode, which we, (laughs) we could go on and on about that. What was wrong on the other side of the pendulum where it's an overly grace filled approach? Where did we get that wrong? Well, first of all, right away. I mean, you could look at like this, this was striking to me is um, if you look at the book of Jude or, or the letter from Jude within the first generation after Jesus. Jesus has come, he's he's died for us, he's been resurrected, and he's like, yes, Acts 2, you guys go out, create the church, grace, and all this kind of stuff, right? Within the first generation, he has to point out, he's like, hey, I, guys, I have to be writing to you right now because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. It was such a big issue that he had to point that out. And so Jude 3, 3 and 4, you could read it. Some translations even say that they uh, that these people came in unnoticed or they snuck in. Uh, the New Living says wormed their way in. You know what I mean? So figured out how to get into it with this ungodly idea that grace allows you to live immoral life. So that was happening in the first century. That was happening in the first generation of Christian believers. And so that's what's wrong too, is you get to the grace side too much and you go, um, this was a a big thing that I would hear from some people that would be like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. And then on my deathbed, I'm going to pray to receive Jesus. I'm going to be forgiven of it all. And I'm going to go to heaven. And so this idea that, that Jesus and grace was a get out of hell free card that let you do whatever you want. And then, you know, at the end you could have a deathbed conversion or you could repent of it at the very end instead of you know living living a life of the way that god has called you to live and this in my opinion is one of the big things about the universalist church yep they they think the grace of jesus and it's a theological approach they have that at the end of the day love wins that's a rob bell thing um and so they think there's no aspect of anything other than just it's all grace and Grace covers all, and it doesn't matter. And while there's some theological truth to that, again, it's taking the pendulum too far because it ignores the idea that Jesus told us to go and sin no more. Yep. It's not like he just said, oh, ah, you're good. Like, 
you're, the, the guy you're living with now isn't your husband, but that's okay. I love you anyway. My grace is going to cover that. It's like, no, right. he's not your husband, but go and sin, like, go and send no more. Like, I don't condemn you. I don't, right. I'm not, I'm not going to say you, you're not welcome, but go and sin no more. And by doing that, it perpetuates this myth that only God can judge me and no one was to hold us accountable. And you hear that from a lot of people who claim Jesus, but they say, man, only God can judge me. Mm-hmm. No, like Tupac was wrong. Like other th- people other than God can judge us. <laughs> if we're Christians, we are, we are to be held accountable by other Christians in relationships with us. Like I shouldn't be holding someone who I don't know accountable for things. I, I, I don't have the right to speak into that if I don't know them, but yeah, but like people in my small group, the church that I go to, the people I'm committing my life around, they have the responsibility and the permission to hold me accountable when I do things wrong because it's not just about grace covering everything. It's also about living a life worthy of your calling. Right. And so then what that ends up doing is, you know, we've, we talk about this a lot too with political spe- spectrums or, uh, you know, anything that has a black and white approach. And what what these two do is like, if you think the spectrum is on a linear line, a lot of times that linear line ends up wrapping around the 3D model and connecting on the end. And so when you have this setup where you'd hear it every once in a while, where you have these religious fanatics that go out and kill people in the name of God, or that go out and commit, you know, they bomb abortion clinics or, you know, whatever you want to talk about where, and again, this is not a mainline Christian thing. So I know we have some people that are on the outside of Christianity or want to use some of this stuff to justify why their deconstruction is leading them away from God. This is not a God thing. This is a perversion of being so... It's fundamental extremists in the same way that Muslim fundamental extremists do this, and they're not indicative of the entire Muslim faith. Correct. Yeah. But see, you can see where grace and behavior modification, they are so far separate that you can go all the way to the side of behavior modification and go, these other people are wrong. I need to do something about it. And they justify it with grace and saying, I'm, I'm killing, you know, I'm killing in the name of God. And it's like, they go all the way back around and go, I'm going to be forgiven because what I'm doing is right. And so they mix this grace and this behavior modification in the wrong way. And I think on a much, much lower level, that's what happens with our judgmentalism. That's what happens with uh, Christians who jump into the political spectrum and just want to troll each other or just talk about why, you know, uh, the libs are evil and they're going to hell. It's like, you can treat people so poorly in the name of behavior modification because one, you believe that whatever you're doing isn't as bad as what they're doing. And two, in the back of your mind, you don't want to admit it, but you have the grace card, not the race card, the grace card. It, you can even do that. You've got the grace card that allows you to play the race card in some cases. And it's like, no, that's wrong as well. And I think those are the types of things that get us into the spot where, like we've talked about for episodes and episodes, why there are so many people that are deconstructing their faith because they look and they see this behavior modification and they go, this doesn't line up with the grace that I've heard in the Bible. And then there's others that are in the church and they go, but I also know that there's got to be more than just grace upon waves of grace. So what's the, uh, what's a Matthew West song, right? Grace upon grace upon wave upon wave of grace upon grace. It's like, yes, but that's not the complete picture. Not that we need more than Jesus, 
but that can't be the whole thing is just do whatever you want, whatever you want with no rules. Because someone like me, that's not how I'm wired. I need some structure and some rules and I need something to go on. Otherwise, I don't honestly, I don't want to be a part of it, you know, and I think that tension without stepping in and being able to have that conversation in a healthy way is what causes people to go, you know what, forget it. I got to find some other way to live. And Jesus isn't it. The polarization when you're on one side or the other, that's when most people are leaving. Yep. It's like if you're on the 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 behavior modification, it's like, no, I see too many hypocrites. I'm not I don't buy it. Yep. But then when you're on the, it's all about grace. And it's like, well, what's the point then? Mm-hmm. Why, like, if grace covers everything, then why should I even worry about doing all these other things? Why should I worry about this? And grace is going to cover it. It's okay. And you look at other people where it's like, well, great. Does, did grace cover Ted Bundy? Did grace cover, you know what I mean? Charles Manson. Does grace cover all of these things? And you go, it's how do I? Yes, but no, but y- you know what I mean? Like there, there's, there's a gray area there that all that, that cannot be covered with, with either side of the spectrum. So what did we get right? What was the good intention? Is there a good intention behind each of these polarizations? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Would you like to expand? Yes, of course. Of course there is. Of course there is. And before we talk about it, I want people listening, call out right now, what is your, what is your like default preference in your setting, whether it's behavior modification such a former pastor. or grace? Well, yeah, great. Well, and a coach consultant, you know, same type of thing. And so Jonathan and I have already admitted this, John, jo- Jonathan, you'd say grace, right? That's like, yes. Okay. And mine is behavior modification. And it even hurts to say that, but it's like, if you can admit that and then walk into it and now be open to the good part of the opposite and understand why that is existing and why maybe you need to, to accept it more too. So for me, as the behavior modification person uh, whose default setting is that, Jesus's grace covers everything, period. Grace exists, started, and I mean, the cross, that's, that's it. There is no rededicate. There is no like being baptized again. I mean, I remember working at the church. We would ask people and talk about you know baptism, and people would come say, "Well, I just I've done a lot of bad things in my life, and I need to be baptized again. I need God's forgiveness again." It's like, no, and we'd have to sit down and explain to people, "No, once, once, like we believe, once saved, always. You don't need to continue to do this set of things. You can release." My church didn't teach that growing up. Yeah, I so- was taught you could lose your salvation. So. Imagine so, once it clicked to me that that grace is, covers everything. Like you can understand why that's my natural bent now. Yeah, because I grew up, and so it's like okay, worried like, give me that, grace, worried that something you did wrong, and you may not even know about it was going to our, send me to hell. Correct, because our sins could be thoughts. So a thought pops in my head, and I go, "Oh shoot, I just thought this certain way, or you know, whatever." I I looked at something, and I did. You know, imagine uh, so, how many times thirteen year old Jonathan, when all the girls were going through puberty. Imagine right. how many times that kid had to say the sinner's prayer every day. Exactly. Oh, an exposed elbow caused me to sin and go to hell. Like that is that an, girl bumped up against me when she was reaching for a pencil. Oh my exactly. goodness! Exactly. Like terrible. I'm going to hell now. So, so grace. What's good about that is it should release you from 
that sort of thing that, that, you know, John, you could talk about it if you want, but like, I'm guessing there's a lot of unlearning, potentially damage, potentially baggage that you carried into adult life because the behavior modification side came out and you needed to, to go back and, you know, uh, what you hear a lot of times to cling to grace, like cling to that grace side. So I would say that for me to openly admit that and to say that, you know what, the other piece is it helps grace. The good part about grace, and I have to remember, is it helps me not be judgmental towards others. Not that I win all the time, but that grace, the good part of that grace side helps me to go, wait, God cares about them and their individual journey and their individual story just as much as he cares about me. And in spite of those things that I look at and I go, that's bad, that's wrong, that's not as good as me. And then I have to remember, I need that grace as well because those those things start to expose in me where maybe I'm clinging on to my own good or bad behavior and grace needs to exist. So that's a that's a behavior modification guy talking about the good parts of grace. From a grace guy, what uh, what are your thoughts on that? And then also the good parts of behavior modification, quote unquote, behavior modification. Yeah, I would say, I mean, you hit you hit the gray stuff. So to, to respect time, let, let me hit on the good things of behavior modification. And I think I would start with the idea that sin is bad. Yep. It's not good for us. Right. It's not, it's not healthy. It's not, there's, there's no, ne- there are no neck and there are no positive attributes spiritually of sin. And the idea of avoiding certain behaviors and action is a protection mechanism from my own sin. Mm-hmm. And we haven't talked about it as much this season, but the first three seasons we hit on it a ton, but guardrails are important. And putting up guardrails, knowing what we're knowing our sin nature and knowing the temptations we have, putting up guardrails against those things is a good thing. And the issue is when those guardrails turn into roadblocks, which we've had that conversation a couple yep. seasons ago. So go back and look at that if you want to. But being protected from things that are bad and people who love me and care about me, teaching me things to protect me is a loving and good thing. They just went too far on this behavior modification. It goes too far and they elevate the good things into the most important. If you want to go churchy, they elevated the good things to the God, to the God things. things. Amen. Oh, man. And Pass so, the plate. Pass the plate. <laughs> and that's that's where it gets to be too much is when it gets elevated too high and we so we talk about this pendulum and it's so hard to live in it's so hard and as we think about moving forward and where we go from here like you you mentioned the matt chandler quote you mentioned your own personal stuff like I go back and forth as well. Like I want to live in grace and I have to remind myself that some of the things I do are bad and they break God's heart. And yes, they're not going to keep me out of heaven. And yes, Jesus died for them, but it still breaks God's heart when I do things outside of his design for me. And so with everything, we have to live in the tension between these two things As as a side note. A friend of mine who listens to the show, she told me that if we ever made Unlearning Youth Group merch, one of the <laughs> things we should make is something about living in attention on a t-shirt because I say it so much. 
And if you've listened to this more than like two episodes, you've heard me say that a ton. Mm -hmm. But it's so true that we have like we've talked about angels and animals. We've talked about all this stuff. We're going to talk about left versus right in the future. We're going to talk about all these things. (laughs) You're a little excited for that. All these things. We have to live in the tension because the gospel is bigger than behavior modification. And it's bigger than just do whatever you want. YOLO Christianity. Right. Yeah. And I think when, when I think about this thing, you know, if we want to look at it from a technical standpoint, there, there's a difference between our legal standing and our, and our living standards or living conditions, you know, so the way the legally and in life. So grace covers all of our sins legally. That's, that's what gets us into heaven, so to speak. So like eternally grace, it's by grace we have been saved. And that is like the debt has been paid, all the cliche Christian stuff, right? That's your legal side. But we are called to progressively transform our body because we've had this renewal of our minds through the Holy Spirit. So we are transforming our actions as we get closer and closer to Jesus. And that's how we are to live our lives, knowing that we're still covered by an umbrella of grace. So it is a tension. It is something back and forth. But it's when we misapply grace in the wrong spot. We misapply the way that we are supposed to behave for the wrong thing. You know, we're not behaving in order to get good standing with God. At the same time, we're not to uh, we're, we're not to keep going along our old ways just because we have grace. And so I, I think you want to talk about this too, but I always go back to like God as the father or as a parent figure is such a powerful metaphor for us. And so when I think about, you know, I, that's why I said, what is your default mode, grace or, or kind of guardrails with our, with our interactions with our kids or the way that you had interactions with your, with your parents, What's the emphasis? Are you going to disregard guardrails? Are you going to disregard safety measures? Are you going to just let your kids do whatever they want? I mean, some of us more than others, but the bottom line is as a good parent, no, you wouldn't do that. But at the same time, are you going to withhold grace when they screw up? No. I want my kids to know that I've put good things in their lives and place in their lives to help them understand this is the this is what's going to be best for them to live a healthy and thriving life. And at the same time, I want them to know that as their father who loves them and is pouring out grace for them, that if they screw up and when they screw up, the first person they should want to call and go to should be me. And that's how I know I'm, I'm doing it right. Am I providing guardrails to keep them out of danger as much as I possibly can? And when they get into danger, am I the person they want to come back to? And that would be the healthy tension for me between, you know, guardrails and grace or between behavior modification and grace. Yeah. I tell my kids every time I have to discipline them, I go and talk to them afterwards. I'm like, Hey, I don't like having to be mean to you. I don't like having to raise my voice. I don't like having to put you in a timeout or to take away this thing from you. But because you did this, there are consequences to those choices. That doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you just as much as I always have. Yeah. And I'm going to always love you, but there are just consequences to your choices. And so I'm trying to teach them that choices have consequences. We need to avoid the bad choices as much as we can, but I'm going to be there and love them no matter what. And that just because they mess up doesn't mean that my view of them changes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's, that's the thing as we think about leading our kids and leading 
students, we have to make sure that they they understand the tension so that they can live in it as well. Yeah. And how many times for all of our youth pastors out there, or you know, if you've gone to youth group, have you had that student or that that kid who stopped going for a while and then you check in on them and it's like, oh, you know, I started doing this or I started doing that, or I, you know, they they started sinning or doing things wrong. That and teenagers thought, do. Yeah, that teenagers do. And they go, and I I just didn't feel like I like I'd be welcomed back here. I didn't feel like I could come back here. I felt like I needed to kind of run away, that sort of thing. And so the question that I would ask for those of you in ministry is, is your church the type of place where people would want to go when they mess up? I think that's where you know that you're doing the grace side right, is when somebody messes up, if they go, oh, I need to get back together with community and in a faith and a place where people are going to love me no matter what I've done. They recognize they've done wrong. Correct. And then they're ready to come back because they, they know that you'll forgive them and you'll, you'll accept them and bring them in. I think it's, a, it's the both end there. Like right. they, they, we don't want them to just think that they can get away with whatever, but that we want them that when they recognize their sin, they know that we're going to accept them and forgive them because Jesus has accepted and forgiven us and we will welcome them back in. Yeah. So if, if you we do can the grace that part, culture. Yeah. If you do the grace part wrong, which I don't know how many churches, you know, what, like there's one side of like, do the people that you're leading understand when they're sinning and do the people that you're leading want to be around you and your church when they know that they've done wrong. And if the answer to either of those is no, then you're not living in the tension. And I would say most churches that I've been a part of probably miss the part where it's like when people realize and understand where they've fallen short or they've made a mistake, are you the type of person or church they want to be around? Yikes. So that's where we're going to end season four. Don't turn this off yet because I want to give you a quick preview of season five. Uh, if you want season five, do the whole subscribe thing, rate us, review us, all those things. Season five is going to be a little testy and it's Ooh. going to be a little uncomfortable and a little awkward because it will be released on Monday, September 12th. So a week after Labor Day. And this fall, we know we're going into midterm elections. And this is not a political show. Our goal is not to convince you to vote one way or the other. But we do want to look at the things that we were taught back in youth group or that we've been taught in church and see if they were accurate or if there were things that were portrayed to us that weren't. What's the good? We want to find the good. We want to unlearn the bad and figure out where the heck we go from here. So season five is going to be focused on politics and government and the issues surrounding that the entire season. So we've got eight episodes already planned out. By the time you're listening to this, we are going to be starting to record those episodes. So selfishly, I'm going to ask that you pray for us that we can communicate things in gospel-centered ways and not politically motivated or socially motivated ways, because we do want to find the gospel in all of this. But mm -hmm. this fall, starting September 12th, we're going to be talking about politics and government, Republicans and Democrats, racism, abortion, LGBTQ rights, economics, climate change, and the one that's going to make Eric go backflip, Christian nationalism. Yes, so Christian nationalism. we hope you will join us for that. We hope you've enjoyed this. If you've liked this season, share episodes with your friends. If you want to connect with us on social media, 
I am at Jonathan underscore Carone on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Eric is at or at Eric W712 on all three platforms as well. If you have a question for us or you have a story you want to use for the front end of an episode, you can email those to hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Thanks so much for hanging out with us for four seasons. I never realized that this thing would go on this long. We've got two more at least planned, and we hope to go much further than that. But thank you again for hanging out, and we hope you have a great summer. Da-da-da.